0: Welcome to Tibet Talks, a podcast series from the International Campaign for Tibet. You're about to hear the recording of a live conversation with Congressman Andy Levin from September 24th, 2020. We hope you enjoy the discussion.
1: Hello, everyone, Uh, and uh, welcome to our Tibet Talks today. I'm Denji Gyatso, Director of Outreach at International Campaign for Tibet. Today, we have another episode focusing on why American support for Tibet continues to be crucial in the context of US-China relations and the upcoming presidential elections. Our guest today is a new member of Congress elected in 2018 to represent Michigan's 9th district. And he has a long friendship with Tibet. As a graduate student, He studied Tibetan at the Central Institute for Higher Tibetan Studies in Sarnath, India, and he has spent time with Tibetan communities in India and traveled in Amdo and Kham regions. His experiences in India, Tibet, and China are one of the reasons he sought a seat on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and its Asia subcommittee. Earlier this month, he co-led a bipartisan letter to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, signed by 110 U.S. representatives, raising concerns about China's closure of the U.S. consulate in Chengdu. Today, it's my distinct pleasure to welcome our guest of the hour and introduce you all to Congressman Andy Levin. Congressman, welcome. Hi. Hi. Hello, welcome to our uh, pro- Tibet Talks program and I'm also uh, have Mateo Macachi joining us. Mateo? Hello, Tencho. Hello, Congressman.
0: Hey Hi. Mateo, hey Tencho. Sorry, I just had to vote so now I ran back to here. <laughs> oh, great, Great. <laughs> Very glad to be with you.
2: Wonderful. So, you know, know, Venture has already introduced you to our audience, and so we can get more into details. But I just want to mention at the beginning that over the years, over 30 years, the international campaign for Tibet has been interacting with many members of Congress from both parties. But this is the first time I think we have an opportunity to talk to a member of Congress who has not only traveled to Tibet, and we know that even if there are many restrictions in going to Tibet, there are members of Congress who have been able to go from time to time. But actually, you studied Tibetan culture in India for over a year, you know, uh, earlier in your career. So my first question to you, what made you to have an interest in Tibetan culture?
0: Oh, now you're going way back, Matteo.
1: Back <laughs> from the well, beginning.
0: I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the story, I mean, Before my senior year of high school, my dad uh, became the assistant administrator of the US Agency for International Development in charge of policy globally. And he invited me to go on a trip to Asia with him the following summer if I worked to raise my plane fare. And I said yes. And since I was going on that trip, I took an elective in, in high school that year on Asian religions. And probably not. It's not that common, but we mostly read primary texts. The Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, early Buddhist sutras, the Lotus Sutra, various Taoist and Zen and Shinto writings. And I was just hooked. The monistic view that grew out of Indian philosophy made a lot of sense to me. And then we went on our trip in the summer of 1978, and we visited Delhi and Hyderabad and Agra and Calcutta and Kathmandu, Dhaka and Maiman Singh, and then went on to Thailand and Indonesia. I was 17, Mateo. Wow And it, this, you know the sensory onslaught of India, the sights and the smells and the tastes and the cacophony of it. But then, uh, really with Tibet in particular, you know I became a religion major in college and studied Buddhism intensively. And I was really drawn to the Mahayana uh, more than the Theravada traditions because I love the Bodhisattva ideal. And in Tibetan Buddhism, I found what I believe was the purest preservation of the classical Mahayana and Tantrayana traditions. So I went to Boulder and for a semester and studied at Chogyam Trungpa's Naropa Institute. And then I went on the uh, University of Wisconsin's Year in India program and studied with Geshe tapke and read Pecha with him and focused on Chandra Kirti Umala Jukpa and met His Holiness way back then. <laughs> so it was amazing and uh, that was how it all started. Yeah,
2: but how did you end up in Tibet?
0: Well, I was I was in um I uh I had uh I was in graduate school again studying at the University of Michigan, studying Asian languages and cultures and basically studying Tibetan Buddhism and I was I was determined to get into Tibet and it was the summer of 1989. Mm. And that was closed, <laughs> but I said, well, i 'm going anyway, and I got to so far as Chengdu when the Tiananmen Massacre happened, and I witnessed you know horrible things there and documented them in word and in photograph and reported on them in a human rights sense, but then there was no chance I was going to go into the you know Tibet autonomous region, so I, the you know what the Chinese called Tibet. <laughs> But as we know, you know, Kam and Amdo and so forth are not in that. And so I just traveled north um, into, um, you know, the areas of Sichuan and Gansu province that are Tibetan areas and and had an amazing experience there.
2: Yeah. And so after that, you got, you know, you got this first experience, first-hand experience in Tibet, but you also met the Dalai Lama after that, right?
0: Yeah. Well, so... On my way back from that trip, I, because of you know all of my connections and and relationships, I said, well, I want to interview His Holiness, and he was doing um, a kala chakra teaching, I think, in uh, Los Angeles. So I arranged my trip back to Ann Arbor through Los Angeles, and I got an exclusive interview with him, and I got to spend an hour with him interviewing. And then I don't know weeks later, he was named the Nobel Peace Laureate. <laughs> so wow. all of a sudden, my, my interview had some you know, some interest from the world, and I published it in a short form in the Newspaper right. Michigan and in a long form in a magazine. Remember East-West Magazine? I think it was that. The yeah. whole interview was published, so yeah.
2: And I, and I think there are, I'm sure there are many of our Tibetan friends watching and hearing you, they probably are saying, this is really good karma you had
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i tell you another story when I, the young monk who was sort of in charge of me in my college year in uh, sarnath when i was studying at the central institute for higher tibetan studies was a young guy named ngawang Samten. and today he like runs the place <laughs> he's you must have met him he's uh, you know he's the i think technically he's the yeah. assistant dean yeah. but he you know he's a geshe and he runs it so I haven't that's got to see him Matteo, so I must go back to India and I must go to uh you know, Sarnath and, and Dharamsala and Dharamsala, everything. that's for
2: sure. That's for sure. That I think, you know, two thousand twenty one hopefully will be a good year for, you know, restarting also congressional delegation travelling to, to India would be really hopefully, great. yeah. Hopefully. But then, you know, after that, you you have a career, you have been involved in civil rights and social justice issues for for many years, right? Uh, Yes. And so, but, you know, so if you have to compare, you know, the the situation in Tibet and how that connects with your other, you know, interests and topics on which you are focused, what makes Tibet stand out? Or what is, you know, what is connected and what makes it stand out? Mm. Well, it's
0: connected because... you know we're all human beings we're all one family and human rights everywhere are important to me but there it really does stand out mateo because i mean the, tibet is a kind of a unique case of um a, an authoritarian government trying to slowly um wipe out a whole culture is the you know the, 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 the Chinese have um, really it's not just a question of individuals and their rights or you know a few villages or communities. There, it's like a slow extinction of a whole culture through infiltration, through surveillance, through starving it out of existence. And we simply cannot let that happen. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of the people on your broadcast are like me. We fell in love with the whole civilization of tibet religion language traditional medicine dance music cuisine so it really stands out as a kind of a slow-moving genocide that we must stop and i feel really strongly about it
2: yes and um, i remember last year in december you came uh, uh, to our reception that we organized on december 10th it was the occasion of the actually the 30th anniversary of the nobel peace Prize to His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and on that occasion, you said something very similar that you would do whatever you can to try to promote and defend, uh, you know, Tibetan culture. Uh, there is one other aspect that I want to mention because I know that you have also learned about the social, emotional, and ethical learning program that which is now run by Emory University and is inspired by His Holiness. <laughs> So since you have such a deep knowledge about Tibetan culture, what do you think these kind of programs can offer, for example, to American students if they were to be implemented in American schools? And you serve also in a committee that deals directly with those issues in 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 the Congress.
0: Right. I mean, you're right, Mateo. It sort of uh, marries my two interests and my two assignments, really. I'm I'm on the Foreign Affairs Committee and the Asia Subcommittee of that, on the one hand. And I'm the Vice Chair of the House Education and Labor Committee, which, you know, a big focus of us, of course, is H12 education. And I I think that C, learning, uh, focuses on things like compassion for the self and others, And I think it's just incredibly important for us to really expand out the way we look at education. You know, for decades in this country, we've been grappling with an ideological shift that really has included a huge focus on the individual. What's good for me? You know, what do I need to do? Everything is about me. of course, we ask those questions uh, all of our lives. But as individuals, and frankly, as a species, uh, we have to look at compassion. We have to look at our relationships with each other. We need to take, public, we need to take public health measures to stop the spread of COVID. We've got to wear masks. Maybe avoid seeing our loved ones, even though that causes us pain. Put off other things we want to do. We've got to get serious about climate change, and so I think, um, you know, having a, a, a basis of sort of accepting one, ourselves as we are, compassion for others, can be a springboard to dealing with our big problems in society and in the whole world.
2: Yeah, and, and I and I think His Holiness has been really spearheading these efforts, uh, really trying to get the essence of the teachings of tibetan buddhism and taking out maybe you know the relig- religious part but focusing on the values can they can unite people you know from different races and different you know countries and bring them together based on this concept of you know compassion and understanding so uh, i think this is a very very relevant issue i think for many people for example who are maybe stuck at home and they have kids that are doing online learning because they cannot go to school and there is a lot of stress and how to manage that i think tibetan buddhism and this program specifically which is not connected to the religious you know uh, teachings uh, maybe has something to offer also to the american families
0: yeah i mean i think that people are under so much pressure right now they're because they have their kids at home and they're supposed to do their job and uh, and help their kids with their education, or they may have family members who have pre-existing conditions. They may be taking care of older family members. And I do think uh, those fundamental values are really, uh, you know, can be really helpful to people.
2: Yeah, so we really I mean, hard to yeah. work with you on that.
0: Yeah, I'd be glad to
2: wonderful so uh, earlier this month you sent you led actually a bipartisan coalition of members of congress who wrote to secretary pompeo regarding the recent closure of the u.s consulate actually in Chengdu the place that you know from back uh, you know then 30 years ago um so in general i mean this is a sign of support from congress but what do you think the administration should do to try to push back against you know china's policies in in tibet
0: well it was really great to partner with congressman mcgovern not just because he's the co-chair of the congressional executive commission on tibet and of the tom lantos human rights commission but because he's been fighting for the rights of the tibetan people for years and he's really committed to that work Um, I mean, I think in terms of the letter, you know, it asked the secretary to share the department's strategy to continue monitoring the situation in Tibet now that China has forced us to close our consulate in Chengdu. That's a big step the administration can take and take quickly, figuring out how we're going to make up for the loss of that vantage point. Another big thing that the administration should do is appoint and make sure the Senate confirms a special coordinator for Tibetan issues, as required by the Tibetan Policy Act of 2002. Why isn't a person there? I mean, that's another ask we made in the letter.
2: Yes.
0: And, you know, I should point out that the letter had more than 110 signers, which is great, but it had tremendous bipartisan support, including from the ranking member of the Foreign Affairs Committee and the Asia Subcommittee. Uh, which are Congressman McCall and Yoho and there's clearly a lot of support for the Tibetan people in the house on both sides of the aisle I think it's very important for us to emphasize bipartisanship and I'm thrilled to you know played a little role in harnessing that support there Um, but in terms of what we need to do I'm not going to mince words about this administration this president has failed to lead on human rights anywhere in the world and that certainly includes human rights in china so it's hard to know uh where to begin but i think here in the house we're trying to step up where the president won't we passed the tibetan policy and support act we passed the uyghur human rights policy act and that bill actually became law and we're considering the uyghur forced labor prevention act and the uyghur force labor disclosure act So we're not waiting around for the president to get serious about China's human rights abuses. We need to continue to draw attention to the plight of the Tibetan people um, and hope that we can get an administration that will be more active in um, trying to really organize the whole world, all of our allies, to put pressure on China.
2: Yes. And historically, actually, you're right that there's always been Congress to take the lead uh, to shape policy on U.S. policy on Tibet, in general, I would say on human rights, every Congress I think has <coughs> been, you know, more demanding to any administration, whether they were, you know, Democrats and Republicans over of, of the history. And so it is great to see that there is, a, you know, a strong bipartisan, a bipartisan participation in this effort because I think that would make sure with the legislation that this policy will continue despite, you know, uh, who's going to be the next president. I think if Congress can uh, set those criteria and policies in place, it will be very helpful. And actually, we are waiting to see, you mentioned that the Tibetan Policy and Support Act was passed by the House last January. You were one of the the co-sponsors. It was passed overwhelmingly. We know that there is strong support in the Senate, but we don't know whether it will be passed by the end of this Congress. Is there any provision in the Tibetan Policy and Support Act, which, you know, for our viewers, basically, it's legislation which updates and upgrades the content of the Tibetan Policy Act of 2002. Is there any provision there that you think it's important to point out and why, you know, the Senate should, you know, should pass this?
0: Well, you know, I mean, there... There, there's so much there. The idea that we haven't done anything since 2002, I think the very most important part of it is to show that we're continuing to focus on this. The, the Chinese government's goal, I think, is to say this is a, an internal matter. Nobody else pay attention. They try to bully the world into butting out. And I think what, the reason it's so important that for the Senate to act is not really so much about any one provision. It's to uh, show really all of our allies <laughs> and, of course, the Chinese that we are going to continue to beat this drum and we're not going to go away and we're going to insist on uh, the, the rights of the Tibetan people. And I'm um, you know, i hopeful we'll get it done, uh, the Senate will get it done, but I'm really organizing for the 117th Congress, Mateo, uh, the one that will come after this one, um, we'll have um, you know the, the the chairman of the the House Foreign Affairs Committee won't be back. So we have new leadership. So I'm very much oriented towards um, getting commitments from the candidates uh, who want to be the chairman there, yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. on Tibet and um, and also uh, working with. Um, you know it, the the Biden campaign. In, in case Vice President Biden becomes president, I'm really my focus is really on playing the different angles to see how we can really move the ball forward. Uh, you know, in the in the coming months, because I'm we're getting into silly season here. I, uh, you know, with with politics swamping policy in you know in a in a presidential election year. So I just don't want it to get lost.
2: Yeah. And that's very encouraging because actually we have been running a campaign for the last few months with our members who have sent, you know, thousands of petitions to both campaigns. It's called Tibet 2020. And the goal exactly to try to get com- commitments from both campaigns and, you know, members of Congress, senators who are running, what they would do in the next, you know, term of Congress. So that I think it's, it's very important for our viewers to hear from members of Congress that these actions matter because it's based on this advocacy that then, you know, policy shaped moving forward.
0: I'm telling you, Matteo, people may get cynical about, you know, being in touch with your member of Congress. Don't. We, it matters how many phone calls, emails, letters, you know, we receive. It matters when they're, uh, the volume, but also when people put a personal touch on it, it matters hugely. And our offices track all of that, every one of us. And so it really is important for people to make their voices heard. Um, And I think it's a really smart idea you have there to try to get commitments from people for, you know, on a going forward basis for January, 2021. Makes sense.
2: I don't know if you have seen that, but there was a strong statement from the Biden campaign on Tibet, which came out and we you know, basically, you know, touch on some of the issues that you have uh, that you have you know said. And on the other hand, we have seen some strong statements from Ambassador Brownback. Uh, there have been some references by you know Secretary of State Pompeo uh, to the need to do more on Tibet. We have had the implementation of the Reciprocal Access to Tibet Act uh, by the administration in July, and, and so hopefully we can have a convergence of interest. Uh, But, you know, both sides of the aisle on, you know, on a bipartisan, you know, uh, stronger policy on Tibet moving forward.
0: Yeah, you know, we we like to say that the Foreign Affairs Committee is the most bipartisan committee in the House, and we try very hard to keep it that way. It's not always, you know, obviously we have our disagreements, but I'm fighting very hard for Tibet to be, you know, one of those areas of, of agreement, and so... Thank you. Uh, so far, that's going pretty well.
2: <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I think we may have a few questions from our audience. If you have a little bit more time, can we take maybe sure, a Sure, go for
0: it.
1: Yes, uh, we have a number of comments also from viewers. Um, one here uh, from Tony Lamantia. He says, It's awesome to hear a uh, politicians speak about importance of love and compassion for one another he says so and then another Gislaine who's from um, who says she also traveled to tibet in 1989 and mm-hmm. uh, met his holiness in madison wisconsin after he received the nobel peace prize so those were some comments that i thought I'll share so for questions, we have one question here. says, um, what can Americans do to push for real change in Tibet?
0: Well, that's, you know, that's a good, uh, uh, you know, always the big question. I would say that um, they they, sh- they can do a number of things. Um, in their, you know, they can try to have their own community develop sister relationships with um, you know, it, uh, the Tibetan community in exile in India, or in or areas of things that people don't even think of as Tibetan, like it, Ladakh is essentially, you know, t- totally Tibetan culture part of India, or, you know, par- and, and or other parts of the Tibetan exile community in India. Um, they can pass resolutions at local, at the local level, and at the state level, uh, urging the United States to, um, you know, demand human rights for the Tibetan people, autonomy for the Tibetan people, um, and uh, of course they can communicate with, with Congress. Um, I just, I think even displaying, you know, wearing Tibet you know, clothes, t-shirts, every way that you can show your love of, of Tibet and of, uh, you know, Tibetan culture, um you know sort of keeps hope alive i i just you know i i think matteo you were talking earlier about sort of the, the 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 beyond the you know the 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 secular aspect or whatever of his holiness's teachings and he above all but also other tibetan you know spiritual leaders have come to the united states and made a big impact on our culture and that obviously continues But it's so important for people who are active in those communities to share that with others and to you know write about their experiences and the connection you know we can't lose tibetan culture itself and expect that to continue you know so people can't just be into new agey having a nice spiritual experience You have to turn that into political energy and save Tibet itself. And I think, you know, that's my message to people. The other thing is, Tencho, I heard that you interviewed Barbara Demick recently. Is that true? Yes. You know, I have to tell you, well, I have to tell you, I just read her book called Eat the Buddha because I thought, like, wow, that, you know, the book, what she was writing about, um, you know, Ngaba, which is a town in you know, calm near near the Calm amdo border, kind of. Um, you know, it's really right near the area I traveled in. So I read it, and I thought she did a remarkable job, really, of telling the sort of sweeping story of what's happened over the last 70 years to the Tibetan people and showing how Tibet is more than, you know, what the, the Tibet Autonomous Region that the Chinese have created. And also putting a context around the very difficult question of, of self-immolation, and it, she really, so I really urge people to read that book, and I have to tell you, I I decided to get a second copy, and I gave it to, I, I put it in a little, one of those gift bags, and I gave it to Nancy Pelosi on the floor of the house <laughs> as a gift, because she has, she has been a champion, and we need, of course, she will continue to be, but I just. You know, I'm just any which way that I can keep the flame alive. And I thought that's the more people that read that book, the better, too. So I recommend that to people.
1: Yes, thank you very much. Barbara Demick um, really did a um, wonderful job with the book. And, well, uh, and she reaches a new audience for us because she reaches the younger generation. A lot of my son, I didn't know about Barbara Demick and I didn't know about her book. But my son who's in college. He had read Barbara's other books, so that's the audience who need who we need to reach out and educate and share. And what you said also about displays of Tibetan culture. I think for our ICT members, also for our membership, um, Tibet, displaying Tibetan prayer flags and Tibetan um elements of Tibetan culture like that uh, go a long way. So thank you for for those uh, comments. We have um, a couple of other, two comments here asking about, I'm not sure if you had been following uh, about Chinese agent in the New York uh, Police Department who uh, was just, So here's two comments on that, asking you if you could comment on that. The police officer was caught spying this week. Um, He was spying on the Tibetan community in New York, and the Justice Department had him arrested. So they're asking your thoughts on that. I I just
0: read about it in the newspaper yesterday. So I don't know a lot about it, but I asked my staff to... I'm going to go and see if there's an intelligence briefing on this as a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee, you know, to see what intelligence we have and whether this is part of something larger, because it was very troubling to me. And I want to understand uh, what, the, I mean, maybe it's just an isolated incident. I mean, I'm not into conspiracy theories at all, so I'm into facts and, you know, uh, learning what the real deal is. But I'm very. Uh, I was very troubled by it, and I aim to get to the bottom of it and see what's going on there, and whether it's part of a larger, um, you know, effort. We we know that China has significant efforts to sort of uh, infiltrate American culture in order to um, advance whatever China's, you know, the government thinks its interests are. And um, so I don't, like some of what, what Secretary Pompeo just did yeah, the also where he said like he's kicking out thousands of Chinese students, I, I don't know that that's a good idea. I don't think all these Chinese graduate students are foreign agents or something. I, I'm, I suspect that that is, you know, coming together of um, an anti-immigrant sentiment with Kind of saber rattling about china i would really rather have a real consistent tough policy with china and not this crazy jumping around back and forth with uh and, and also very it's too personalistic it's too much i my relationship with then you know with uh xi jinping i mean we we need to have a principled relationship with china that says we have to front put human rights first we have to you know, talk about intellectual property. We have to talk about currency manipulation. We have to talk about these big things in a way, and we have to gather all of our allies together in doing it. So, um I'm going to look into that New York intelligence piece, but it's and and see if it's part of a, a larger period, uh, picture, especially as it concerns the Tibetan community in New York and elsewhere in America. Yeah,
2: there have been other episodes. In, you know similar but different of you know infiltration you know through you know chinese student associations or other you know fake tibetan association being set up with support from chinese consulate you know over the last few years but what came out and which i think i want to mention from the indictment that the fbi you know the justice department has published is that you know this uh, this agent he was asking to have a 10-year chinese visa to be able to travel and go to Tibet. And apparently the consulate officer told him, no, you are Tibetan, you cannot get a 10-year visa. Maybe you should change your ethnicity. And so this is a story that Tibetan Americans have heard many, many times when they apply, they go to the Chinese consulate and they try to go to Tibet because their their name is Tibetan, they mostly you know, get turned down. And, and so that's why, you know, four years ago, we started with the Reciprocal Access to Tibet Act because we knew that China was using access to Tibet as leverage with the exile community and try to divide the community. So this is very concerning uh, because for, for Tibetans who are refugees, who are in exile, who have family there, they have a choice, whether they speak their mind and maybe they participate in the you know the demonstrations, advocate on the hill, etc, or you know keep their ties with their families. So this is really sad.
0: What does it even mean to change your ethnicity? I mean, is that a, th- a real thing? Does it change do people- your name
2: to a Chinese name? Actually, we heard the story uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, it was the opposite, but very telling. It was a Chinese couple who got married and they took a Tibetan name because they were they are Buddhist. So they changed their name to a Tibetan Buddhist name. So when they applied to the Chinese consulate, they were Chinese, ethnicity was Chinese. They couldn't get the visa because they, their name was Tibet. So,
0: <laughs> so that uh, is the, the no, idea. No, it's is. it's funny, but it's really very troubling. I mean, you know, to the, I'll be honest with you, as a Jew, the first thing I think of when you say, you know, that you have to change your your ethnicity is 1492, you know, and the and the Spanish Inquisition and all the, you know, over many different incidents in history, Jews having to like become Christian or Catholic you know, Catholic, whatever, in order not to be murdered, or you know, so um, over hundreds and hundreds of years, so um, yeah, that's very very troubling
2: yeah so thank you for looking into that and the intelligence briefing because I think it would be is it, not the story you know this story is gonna have legs because we think that there are probably other situations you know pretty similar
0: yeah yeah it's really great to be with you we have to go to our next vote but I I really enjoyed this thank you for inviting me it's so good to thank see you both so much
1: you. for. Uh, joining us, Congressman. Um, and we, we uh, look forward to meeting more of you and hearing more from you. And, um, and thank you for your continued support. Thank you.
0: You're so welcome, Tashi
1: Deleit. Thank you, everyone. And uh, as we end our program today, uh, I want to join you. Uh, Congressman also said it's very smart to get um, candidates to comment on issues before the elections. So please join our Tibet 2020 campaign to make sure Republican and Democratic presidential nominees agree on their support for Tibet. So to join, visit SaveTibet.org slash Tibet-2020. Um, and um, it's a few clicks, um, you can uh, take part in it. Uh, We hope you will join us again for our next episode, which will be Thursday, October 8th, and our guest will be Dr. Uh, Stefan Rechtschaffen. He's an author, holistic physician, and co-founder of Omega Institute. He's a long-time member of ICT, and we're looking forward to having him, and and, uh, the details are posted on our website, at savetibet.org live Thank you all once again for joining us and thank you for your continued support for Tibet
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tibet Talks. Subscribe to the show on iTunes Spotify or Google Podcasts. Learn more at savetibet.org pod to find out how you can get involved in our efforts to promote human rights and democratic freedoms for the people of Tibet, please visit SaveTibet.org support. Thank you and see you next time
1: on Tibet Talks.